So maybe by the end of service, I'll ask again, and there'll be like five or something. Um, okay. So uh, I go to Indianapolis every week uh, to see Beatrice, not to revel in the construction that is Indianapolis. But uh, I happen to have a pair of Colts tickets on my dash when we parked. And uh, when I came back out, someone had smashed the window and added two more. Okay. <laughs> Today, we are wrapping up the Upside Down series, and this has been such an amazing series, because as the, the bumper says, it's about the fact that we are called to be different. We are called to show that we're different. We're called to help other people be different. We're called to show love in the face of hate. We're called to, to show understanding in the face, in the lack of understanding. We're called to be like Jesus, and to live upside down. And so, I've had the amazing blessing in this series to be able to, to speak each week, a couple times in traditional, but each week. And so it's really been such a, a cool thing for me to be able to build this series f f as the way uh, God gave it to me. And so as I was going through and as I went each week, I'm sure everybody here remembers each week that I talked, but as I went through uh, each week, I was like, how do I want to end this? Like, how, what is the possible thing? And so I just kept coming back to this phrase, the end is the beginning. And I kept coming back to that. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about heaven, but also about what that means for us now, what it means for us to be upside down, what it means for us in this life that we have. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So the ancient Greek for this actually says, don't treasure for yourself treasures here on earth. Don't treasure. And it talks about our heart. And Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your focus is, that's where your heart is. Where, where your eyes go, where your mind goes, where your heart goes, that's where your heart is. Now, treasures and the things that we have, possessions, all these, this stuff that we talk about, all this stuff that we have, all this stuff that we do, that's not bad on its own. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And as I've said before, Jesus wants us to have a life here. But it can't come first, and it can't be the entirety of the focus. It can't be everything that our, our heart is about. And we think as we read this, well, he's telling us to, to worship him, and that's absolutely true. But again and again and again, everything that he says is also for us to have a better life. Because think about this. When you focus on the things that we have, on promotions, on jobs, on money, on stocks, on bonds, and I don't even know what bonds are, but on these different things that we have, on cars, on tickets, on Bengals championships, maybe one day, but on these other things, probably not, on these other things that we focus on, it's ultimately fading. And it leads to a life of frustration, and it always changes, too. Uh, if you look up on the internet, you can find all these different studies every few years where it's like, what does the American dream mean? And how much money do you need? And so like, people in a certain income bracket will say, well, I need this much. And people in a higher income bracket will say, I need this much. Well, over time, that changes because the line changes, because the world is constantly changing the goal line, changing where we're going, changing what it's supposed to be. And so to focus on that, to focus on the treasures here, that leads to frustration. And it leads to anger, and it leads to hurt, and it leads to emptiness, and it leads to just this fleeting feeling of, I can never have enough, I can never be enough, I can never do enough. 
One of the things I talk about a lot is identity, and it's very similar to that. Because whatever you put your identity in, anything other than Christ, it changes. If you're, if, if you're a parent, well, when the kid leaves out of the house, sure, you're still the parent, but it's very different. If you're a student and your identity is that, well, when you get out of school, there's no more school. If you're an athlete, and we see this with professional athletes sometimes, and you build your identity around that, it can be so hard to let it go. And we see people struggle with that. We're seeing it maybe with Tom Brady right now, struggling with that letting go. And so we all kind of can fall into that, but this goes with the treasures of our heart too. And so as I was looking up uh, things about this, I came up uh, with a C.S. Lewis quote. I know, shocking. I actually, I actually was like, okay, I'm definitely not going to use C.S. Lewis this week. And then I found this quote, and I was like, man. And so I think Earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell. And Earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. So somewhat, that is about perspective. It's a little bit, it says, if earth is all you care about, then as you go about your life, you're going to find, well, that was just the pathway to hell. And we've heard those quotes before. But if earth is second, and it's just something that you're in, then boom, that's heaven. But it's not just about perspective. Because if something hurts you, if you're struggling, that's real. And so it's not a thing like, hey, just smile and look at the bright side. That takes time, and it takes healing, and it takes all of these things. But it still is about focus. Um, we probably all know somebody like this, but I know somebody who uh, peaked in college. And so like all they, they do, all they think about, all they talk about is, well, it wasn't like this in college. Well, I miss college, all this stuff. And I notice that life kind of gets away from them. And like they just keep going back to, I wish it were like this, I wish it were like this, I wish it were like this. And, and sometimes we can get caught up in like that. Uh, looking at the good old days, looking at the times where, where we felt happiest, looking at the times where maybe uh, we were more popular or taller, I guess, or, or thinner, or whatever it is that we look back to. I was never any of those things. But it's looking back, and our focus is on looking back. Our focus is on that. Our focus is on just earth and everything there. And when our focus is on earth, we always need more. We always need more. We look at people uh, like the CEOs, the rich people, the richest people. They're always trying to get more money because they always want more. And we're like, everybody here is like, man, if I just had one game check from like Joe Burrow, I'd be set for life. But you hear some of the athletes say, well, you know, I got I to gotta meet my standard of living and all this stuff. And we all kind of fall into that. We all think if I just had this, if I just could get this, if I just could make it to here, but then we do. And then it's like, well, I have to get here now. I have to go here. I have to get here. I have to make it to this. And over and over and over again, if earth is the focus, we feel like that. And we feel empty and we always want more. And there's such a pressure to have everything be perfect. And I feel this, believe me. And through school, I was encouraged to feel this, to have perfect grades and to just never mess up. And I hold myself to this standard, knowing that I cannot match it. And it's always kind of frustrating, and I always understand what I'm doing, and I still hold it and hold it and hold it. But when we focus on stuff like that, and one thing falls out of place, then everything falls out of place, and we feel like we failed. 
and the hurt and the anger and the loss and the empty feeling. It's just everywhere. And we hurt and we're angry and we hurt. And it's so hard because through all of that, the world is saying, yeah, yeah, pick it up, rub some dirt on it and try again. And that is a good theory. That is a good way to live and trying again. But it depends on what we're trying again for. And if we keep trying to just get more stuff, and we keep trying to be more popular, and we keep trying to fill that hole in our lives with anything in the world, it's just going to keep being emptier and emptier and emptier. But if the focus is on heaven, and the focus is on what God can provide, and the focus is on at the end of this path that we're on right now, man, it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be holy, and it's going to be complete, and all of that stuff. If our focus is on that, it doesn't mean there's going to be no sadness along the way, because there will be. It doesn't mean there'll be no loss along the way, because there will be. But it means that we have other goals in mind. It means that we have other hopes in mind. It means that we see other people in a different way, and we see them in such a way that, man, I want them to feel this too. And money, of course, matters, because we have to pay bills, and we have to do all this stuff with money. There are other things. Buy stocks. Yeah, sure. Uh, pay for car problems. Uh, all kinds of stuff we have to use with money. Buy cookies for Beatrice. All these stuff. And so money is fine. Our life here matters. The things we do, that matters. Who we are matters. All of these things matter, but where the world says, this is it. YOLO. Hashtag YOLO. This is it. You got one life, you got to succeed right now or nothing. Jesus says, no, no. This is barely the beginning. This is barely the beginning. And if I could, if you think of this podium here as a timeline, like an eternal timeline of eternity, and obviously it can't be because there's a beginning of end to this podium. Our existence, and I don't just mean our, I mean humanity's existence, is like barely a blip here. Because eternity is beyond anything we can comprehend. But if we focus on him, and we focus on that promise of eternity, that means everything we face right now, everything we feel right now, all of the hurt that we go through, that is fleeting too. And so we have an eternity of completion, an eternity of happiness, an eternity of love. And so I want to go to Revelation a little bit and look at heaven. I want to take a couple of glimpses of heaven. And so I'm going to go to Revelation 21. Verses 3 through 4 first. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So first, let me say, uh, both of the things in Revelation, they're about the ultimate heaven, the second coming, after everything is done. But... It still gives us a glimpse of heaven because heaven is always perfect. And it's always with God. And so it still shows us some of these things that we see, some of these things that we can think about, some of these things that we focus on. And it says very clearly it's going to be holy and new. Holy and new. And that's so amazing. It shows us, too, uh, that, that God's home will be with us, that God will be with us all of the time. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the times that that you've felt alone in your life, even knowing that God is there. 
But then think about an eternity of literally being able to look up and see God anywhere you look. That is so powerful and so amazing. And a little before this, it talks about the city coming down. And it shows us, I think, a lot of us were raised with the idea that heaven is kind of sitting on clouds and playing harps. It's not super exciting. I know that Sean kind of does that on his own time, but it's still not something that, that is super exciting. And so this shows us, this, this passage and other passages show us heaven is a physical place. There will be cities, amazing cities, cities we can't comprehend. I'm talking heavenly cities, even better than Bloomington, which is heaven on earth. Heavenly cities, except in football season, heavenly cities. Heavenly cities, so amazing, so cool, and so just beyond anything we can comprehend, anything that we've thought of, anything that we can imagine. And it also shows us the ultimate restoration. What was lost in the fall of man, what was lost from the Garden of Eden, is given back. If we keep focusing on him, we keep going towards him, we keep bringing others to him, everything has passed away that's former, including our earthly wants, including the pressures, including the stresses, including all of that. And it's so hard to imagine because we're still going to be us. We're still going to have our personalities, but without all of the corruption that comes from the world, we're going to be complete for the first time. Complete, complete. I'm talking like, no wants, no desires, nothing. We're just completely there. We're everything we were meant to be. And we look to that. And it helps us to continue looking. And it helps us to recognize that it will be holy and new. But we also must show it. We must offer everyone we meet a glimpse of that. Now, we can't be perfect but we can show what we're fighting for. We can show what we're living for. We can show what we're hoping for in how we treat others, in how we talk to others, in how we talk about others. And we can show that love. We can show that hope. We can show that holiness, that newness. Going to another part of heaven. This is Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street, on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever." Again, this is talking about the ultimate heaven, and if you read through Revelation, as I'm sure everyone here has continued to do, uh, you will see that eventually, after the plan go, comes to fruition, after Revelation, after the second coming, after the, the millennium, and we're not going to talk about all that, but after all of this stuff happens, earth becomes the ultimate heaven. But it still shows us, like I said, the perfection of heaven, the perfection of God, the, the time of no more tears. And no more sorrow, no more pain, and nothing like that. And so it shows us the perfection. And it talks about this river. And what is the source of the river? It's the throne. It's God. Because he is the source of everything. And if we look to life like that, our perspective starts to change. And we start to realize why we're here. We start to realize what we're doing. It, again, it does not mean, boom, we're happy all the time. 
There's a Russian saying, as I am fond of, apparently. And it is, uh, someone who smiles all of the time is either crazy or American. And they say that because we put such a, a, a heaviness on smiling all the time, on pretending that we're okay when we're not. But with this, it shows us that we're going to be actually okay, more than okay, perfect, and it's going to be amazing. It talks about the tree of life, the same tree of life from the garden. And in different translations, it says it in different ways. I like to think that the river kind of flows through it, and the tree is on each side, like this giant tree. And it's interesting because it talks about months, uh, and time is a human thing, so maybe there'll be months. It doesn't really matter. What matters is it's an eternity, and we're once, a long time ago, we chose the wrong tree. Now we get an eternity with the right one, the real one, the focus, the source. And it's so amazing. It's so powerful. And that tree, again, shows the restoration of everything. Everything that we lost when we chose wrong. Everything that we lost from our incompletion, from the co corruption of the world. It's all given back. And it's so holy. And we keep looking to that, and we keep remembering that that's going to come, and we keep hoping for that. But for us to know that at the end, if we follow him, if we focus on him, if we live for him, Jesus will give us the ultimate restoration, the ultimate forgiveness, the ultimate love. We have to show it. We have to live that now. We have to give people that glimpse that we're having today, that glimpse of heaven, that, that, that assurance that we have that once we live for Jesus, we get to live in heaven one day. It is so vital to help others see that assurance, to help others feel that assurance. And it talks about there being no sun and no lights because God is there, because God is completely holy. And if you remember back to when Moses went by God and he could only see his shoulder and he still got burned, we're allowed to see his face because we'll be complete, we'll be holy, we'll be what we were meant to be. And we get to see his face. That's our sun, that's our light, that's our focus, that's our source. And that is true even now. Even now before this, it's true. And he is right there with us. Now you notice where it says no more sorrow, no more tears where it says there will be holiness, there will be God, there will be love, there will be a tree. It does not say, well, there are going to be promotions, because there's no promotions. No fighting for that next job, no fighting for what's yours or whatever else. There are going to be no investments, thankfully, because I've not done a good job with that. There will be no investments, no bank accounts, no anything like that, no possessions. No things, no stuff, no worries that comes from all of that. No political parties. No t-shirts that people wear that say, I was right, you were wrong. Whatever it is. I have one of those, but it's different. No popularity. No fame. No being left out. Everyone will be together. And I say again, everyone will be together. Everyone that chose him, everyone that lives for him will be together. And we will all be with God. And we will all have his name on our forehead. We will all be complete, holy, and everything that we have always wanted to be. 
But our focus has to be on that. One of the things I say to the teens sometimes, because it can be a struggle in middle school and high school with everything you face and worrying about getting in the right crowd and being popular and all this stuff, I point out that about five years after high school, sometimes less, everyone that you worry about fitting in with, you're not even going to remember their name. And so a little bit, if you focus on him, and you focus on this, all of the things right now that we worry about, we're still going to have to pay the bills, we're still going to have to do this stuff. But our focus changes. And in heaven, none of that even exists. And that is so just perfect. It's everything. It's complete. It's the ultimate reward. And it can be hard to wait. But I have a quote from Corey Tinboom. You know, eternal life does not start when we go to heaven. It starts the moment you reach out to Jesus. He never turns his back on anyone and he is waiting for you. Eternal life, this reward that we're waiting for, it starts the moment you reach out to Jesus. Because he is always reaching back. He's always holding his arms out like this. He's always waiting for us to choose him. And that starts. And he never turns his back on anyone. He never turns his back on anyone. That means nothing you have done in your life can cause him to do anything but love you. You still have to choose him. But he will always love you if you come to him, if you follow him. And that is such a perfect reward. It's such a cool thing. And we know this. We're taught this. But think how much this would mean to everyone else. Think how much this message would mean to everyone else. This message of, if you choose Jesus, this begins something beyond your comprehension. And sometimes we make it so hard. We make it so hard on ourselves, but even harder on others. And it comes from hurt, and it comes from incompletion. It comes from all of these things. But this message of choose Jesus and trust him, it would mean so much to everyone else we meet. And it's hard to put heaven into words. It's hard even with the scripture to truly understand the perfection of heaven because we have nothing like this. We, we literally have nothing that is as perfect as heaven. Nothing. And so it's hard to put it into words. And yet, over and over again, Jesus gives us a glimpse of heaven, which is what we're supposed to do for everyone else. Give them a glimpse of heaven. Give them a glimpse of what we're working for. Give them a glimpse of what we're seeking. And so we offer the glimpse to everyone because everyone is invited. Jesus died for everyone, whether we like them or not. He died for everyone. I'm talking even Steelers fans and Michigan fans. Probably Purdue fans too. He did. Everyone. For everyone. He died for everyone. And again, it's free will. We have to choose. But as Christians, as people who are here, as people who know heaven is waiting, it's on us to show people why they should choose, to show them that we're different, to show them that we're upside down, to show them that there is a way. I want to go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. 
He says there is room for everyone. There is room for everyone. Think about your life and think about the mistakes you've made, the bad choices you've made. When you choose him, when you ask for forgiveness, those are gone. There will still be earthly consequences and that happens. And unfortunately, sometimes people will throw it in your face, but he won't. There is room for everyone. If we just choose him, if we just focus on him, if we just live for him. And it's such a, a, a hope, a powerful hope. And even though we have a troubled life, Jesus says right here, you can have an untroubled heart if you shift your focus. If you focus on the upside-down life of him, the upside-down calling of him, a new focus, a new goal. And he mentions mansions, everyone having mansions, and again, everyone together, and everyone equal with him. Because he is above it all, he is better than it all, and he helps us, and he gives us this. He gives us this. He prepared mansions for us, even though we do not deserve it. And he calls us to remind others of what they can do, of who they can be. It is so vital in this world to be upside down. This is more than just making your own life better, although I promise you, if you live this way, it makes your own life better. But there are so many people whose only view of Christianity, whose only view of Jesus is of judgment and hate and anger. And it can be so hard because people will throw that at us even if we don't do it. But it makes it that much more vital for us to look at heaven and to say, okay, this is what I have to show other people. And to show them. And again, the choice is on them, but we show them. And we remind them and we help them and we live for him. So now what? How do I wrap up this series? What do I have up my sleeve, which are rolled up? Like, what is the, the ultimate point? Well, I have one more quote, which is kind of a cheat, because it's scripture, too. This is my life. This is from Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It's a summary. It's something I say all the time. This is it. I could have honestly started this series six weeks ago, said these four words, and left, and we'd be done. I don't like the reaction there. Okay. <laughs> but this is it. Obviously, the Christian life takes a lot sometimes. But everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything we talk about should be through the lens of those four words. Love God. Give him yourself. Your focus, your heart, your hope. Give him your, your respect, your admiration, your love. Everything you do should be for him. And I love this point, and I make it every single time. The word that Jesus uses for love is agape, unconditionally. He uses it for both. Which means equally important is to do the same to others. To love them. To show them who you really are. To show them what they're really going for. To show them true love. That true love really exists. And again, we still have life and we still have things, but the focus is on those four words. Again, sometimes we make things really hard for ourselves. 
And sometimes we make things really hard for other people. But if we look to him, and we look to what is coming in the end, if we choose him, and we live that, that's the upside down way. To love God, to love others, it does not erase the rules, as Jesus said. It encompasses them. It makes them real. It makes them true. It makes them everything we can do. We can love God. We can give him ourselves. We can give him everything and make him our focus. Make him what we seek. Make him what we speak. And then we can love others. We can put aside everything that that clings to us. We can put aside everything that drags us down. We can put aside things. And we can show others that same love that God shows us. And it's so hard, but I started this series with love for enemies. That is the single most important thing we can do in this world, is to love everyone. There's so much more to it But that's where it starts. Because by loving everyone, even when they hate you, by loving everyone, even when they turn from you, by loving everyone, even when they don't show love to you, that shows a glimpse of heaven and it shows a glimpse of the love God has for everyone. That everyone has a mansion if they just choose it. We are called to be like Him. We are called to live upside down in a world that says, no, no, no. Everything has to fit in this box. But Jesus said, guys, I have a better way. And it is absolutely possible. If you choose me, you focus on me, and you love Jesus eternally. And then you take that love that assurance that comes from that love, from being loved, from being loved so wholly and so completely, from being loved so much that a place is prepared for you. And you take that love and you walk through life and you show it to every single person. Whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether you know them or not, you show that love because Jesus set that example for us and he did it. He did it to show us that we can and then he gives us that. And I go back to a quote I used at the very beginning, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't fully remember it. He doesn't just tell us to love others. He then gives us the love to do it. We can be better. We can be like him. We are his church. And he loves us beyond anything we understand. And if you take anything from this series, take that love and show it to everyone. That's all I got.